Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 158. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. This is game-related. You are coming off of a long weekend spent with some of your family. Yes, and uh, my brother came into town from Colorado. I visited him last year. Probably talked about that because I played a whole bunch of games when I went to his house. Of course. And uh, when he came here, we played a whole bunch of games because that's what my family does. We love the board games. I love that family tradition. Yeah. Fun stuff. So it was cool. He was in town for uh, several days, and we went outside too. We uh, went to some areas of San Diego, like Cabrillo National Monument, Balboa Park, really cool places. What it's is like, this outside? I know, right? What is that? Is that a thing? <laughs> I felt like just stepping into the sun, I was getting a sunburn. <laughs> You're like a vampire. You get <laughs> stop. <laughs> Curse <Starts> you! Sizzling. <laughs> it does feel like that sometimes. Which sometimes, is a little, man. A little worrisome. Yeah, we are cave dwelling weirdos. But uh, it's like super cold in Colorado right now. No. With, you Ooh. know, snow and crap probably. No good. So it was funny because, you know, when it's like <laughs> like below 60 here, I'm like, oh, God, it's freezing. Yeah. My brother's like walking around barefoot Yeah. at night in sub-60 weather. And I'm like, uh You don't know what cold is. Basically, <laughs> he would mock me every time I said it was cold. When it's cold, though, I do love to like just stay in and play some games for real. That's true. Love it. So some of our favorite games are like uh, Ticket to Ride, which is a kind of train-placing board game. Yep. We played um, some of Lords of Waterdeep, which is a really interesting mm. uh, kind of a resource management D&D-based game. Well, it's based in the D&D world. It's not really like D&D, though. Um, oh, we got that uh, Exploding Kittens game that oh, was nice. uh, on Kickstarter. Yep. It's actually kind of funny. That game is really simplistic. Um, it kind of like it is, you know, Sort of related to, to game devery here. Hmm. Um, it's interesting what they've done with that game because it's such a simple game. It's kind of like Old Maid, I think, if you've ever played Old Maid. It's a really old card game, and like I think you don't want to get stuck with the Old Maid, uh, which is kind of like you don't want to get stuck with the Exploding Kittens, and there's like right. a few different ways that you can like skip your turn or force someone else to take a kitten. But other than that, like the game kind of completely rests on the shoulders of the oatmeal artwork and thematics. Which that worked really well. Yeah, it was that like Kickstarter huge, did gangbusters. It did, and it's just uh, it kind of makes me like <laughs> discouraged sometimes, you know, because mechanically that game is just nothing, right? Yeah. But without the oatmeal involved, it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. Do you do you find pretty much everything discouraging? <laughs> um, yes, I do. I do sometimes. I think it's your frame of mind at the time you know if you're feeling down you're like oh man someone else had a huge success and i haven't and i suck and other times you're like look someone else had a huge success i can do it too right, right. i mean that's it kind of does go both ways and like I, honestly nothing against them i'm not as discouraged that they had a great success <laughs> yeah. i'm just discouraged because it so many signals keep reinforcing the idea that like nothing really works a lot <laughs> you know like just the perfect storm of things can, you know, obviously like they had an ace in the hole with, you know, the oatmeal fan base already. Like, and, and I guess like you could just boil that down to like, if you have a fan base already, like you can convert them to other products pretty easily. Yeah. Like cross promotion is a huge thing. Um, obviously among like social game, uh, like Zynga is very notable for doing like moving their audience from one game to another. Yeah. Blizzard, like we've talked about, has been doing an extremely good job of moving their audience around between the Diablo franchise, Heroes of the Storm, StarCraft, and like Warcraft, and making all those things kind of feed off of each other. Yeah, you see this with celebrities. Anytime they reach a certain level, they're going to write a book. Yes, you know, like true. Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. And like, why wouldn't they, right? Because, like, well, I mean, you don't have to write a book. You're obviously doing very well with movies or TV or whatever it is that you do, right? But if you write a book, it'll make you millions of dollars. So why don't you write a book? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that cross promo kind of thing right or why don't you have a perfume or whatever hey yeah exactly like you or know. your own makeup line or yes. whatever yeah that kind of a thing so with the oatmeal you know it's like that's a giant success and it's just comics so it's like an obvious you know just cross promo thing to let's make a game too right anyways it's a it's a pretty fun game but it, it's relatively shallow i think in terms of mechanics um but i mean and then again it serves its purpose right it's a pretty fun game for just sitting around playing with your friends uh, or family. I kind of like Shallow, especially when, um, like, I feel bad sometimes if I'll be, hey, buddies, let's play Pandemic. You know, <laughs> it's 
it's going to take me 15 minutes to explain <laughs> how to play it, you know, that kind of a thing. And you, you can tell some people sometimes are just kind of lost and like, you, you've got this barrier to get over. You do. You really do. You know, like mm-hmm. first you have to sell them on it. Like, does it sound fun at all? Then you have to explain the rules. And these days, like I've, you know, I've talked about this before. I don't have a lot of patience for crazy amount of systems, a ton of mechanics. You know, I, I really want things to be relatively simple, at least at first. They can ramp it up later. Like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that it's hard for me because it depends on the context, right? If I'm playing with a big group of people that don't know how to play complicated board games, I would much rather play something like Exploding Kittens. Yeah. Or, I don't know, <laughs> Cards Against Humanity or something. Yes. <laughs> Very simple. But if I had my preference, my ideal scenario would be like playing an hours long, super complicated board game with a few other people that were really <laughs> into it. That's fun. Yeah, I like that too. What was that, Descent? Yeah, I like Descent. That's really fun. I like that a lot. Anyways. So you guys played, uh, was, was it Lord of War? Yes. So uh, this is a card game that I backed on Kickstarter and it was actually brought to our attention by uh, David Waller, one of our Lost Cast listeners and forum goers. He posted on the forum a while back, and I backed it on Kickstarter, and then I actually got it um, not too recently. It was actually several months ago that it actually came, um, but it's not the kind of game that Melissa likes, mm. um, and so I just I didn't really have anybody to play with. I meant to play it with you when you were down here a couple weeks ago in San Diego, right? Um, but you know, things... we never have time for anything. No, it feels it's like <laughs> it's too many fires to put out all the time. Well, I think we were lost casting that day. Yeah. You know, and then we were doing a lot of, we actually had some really productive game design discussion. That was actually that day that we talked about cutting and simplifying a lot of the input in AWL2. And we yep. came away with not only that, but we had like this crazy good revelation about the death mechanic and when we changed it from being the intermediary soul to like shooting out your soul. Yeah, it solved a bunch of problems. Man, I remember we went from, you know, oh, this game is lousy and how have we done this again where <laughs> we built the wrong thing and blah, blah, blah. And then we made like a, you know, pretty subtle but impactful tweak and all of a sudden everything was roses again. And now, <laughs> now. it's a whole different bucket of problems that we have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at least we've moved on uh, in one way. Yep. So anyways, I meant to play that game with you, Lords of War, and uh, and we didn't. So this was the first time I had a chance to play it with someone who was really into those kind of games uh, with my brother, obviously, Sean. Nice. Um, and it's a pretty cool game, actually. I didn't really know what to expect um, other than, you know, when I saw it, I was like, okay, it's a strategy card game. Uh, I like it already. You know, um, <laughs> the basic idea was like there's two factions that you play against each other. So it's like elves versus lizard men. Um, and obviously because of Shining Force and AWL, like lizard men are pretty cool. Um, so I'm, I'm in it on that ground too. Um, and it's got a lot of expansions. So there's like a few different dwarves versus Templars or something. So they have kind of like, it's sort of like the idea of like Starcraft or something like Warcraft 2, where you have like orcs versus humans. Um, but you play it on like a grid. So there's a game mat that comes with the game and there's a grid of spaces for cards. And it's kind of like playing chess or maybe more like a tactical RPG, like Final Fantasy Tactics or Shining Force Battles or something like that. Because each card, when you deploy a unit, you know, the cards are sort of like magic, right? Where you have like, oh, here's my infantryman and he has this much health and he has this much attack. And you place it on the board at a certain location. Uh, But the interesting thing about their setup is that all monsters have a hit point value, but they have um, directional attack numbers. So, for example, if you're picturing a card, you know, the card has essentially eight faces, right? You have um, top and bottom, left and right, and then the diagonals. And each of those positions can have an attack value for each monster or unit. And so, you know, if I place a unit on the board, which has got like an attack value of four going to the left, the thing to the left will take four damage from it. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah. And so... There's a bunch of different units that have different combinations of stuff. And so, like, it's kind of like magic in that in a given deck, you might have, like, four. Uh, I think one of the things is, like, uh, they had, like, an elven chariot, right? And there might be four elven chariots in a deck. But each of those four elven chariots, they'll have the same stats, but their attack values will be in different positions. So you might have, like, oh, here's a chariot that attacks left and right and diagonally up. And here's a chariot that attacks left and right and diagonally to the, uh, the other direction, hmm. if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 
it's kind of hard you. to picture the spatial stuff, but um, it's pretty interesting, and and it creates a lot of interesting gameplay about where you put your units down on the map, how you configure them, how you kind of support them with other units, you know, and like you want to block, you know, if you have a unit that has no attack value on a certain side, you might want to bolster it up against a unit that has attack values on the opposite side. Right. You know, so they're kind of flanking each other. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, Heroes of the... No, not Heroes of the Storm. Hearthstone and how Hearthstone, you know, it, it obviously kind of came from Magic the Gathering, right? But it uh, it mostly it took away rules from Magic the Gathering, but it also had a couple of uh, like additions, you know? For one thing, it uh, mattered where your units are placed on your little linear strip of where they can be. So you can have up to like seven monsters in a row, right? And right. it might be one that you've got this one monster and it's like, you know, wh- whatever you call them, right? Like the monsters on my left and my right each get plus one attack. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And magic has no sense of spatial awareness whatsoever. There's never like, you know, if there's a mountain next to this mountain, then this mountain gets plus one mountain or something. Like that doesn't <laughs> exist. They, they all just live in this abstract place where their X and Y coordinates on this, you know, abstract table have no meaning whatsoever. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, and um, and then this game basically takes that even a step further, where it's um, you know, because in Hearthstone it's like it sometimes matters right. where your units are. Usually not, to be clear. You, right. Yeah, usually not. Usually it doesn't matter at all. Um, but in this game, it always matters where your units are. It is. A, it's a lot like chess. If each chess piece was a little bit more complicated in terms of you know its interactions with its neighbors. Interesting. So, how many players is this game? Um, it's two, I think by default, but you can, you, there are variants of playing more people. Right. Um, but it, it's essentially meant to be just like, almost like a chess game, right? Like you have one person on either side of the board and you both have your armies and you just play your armies onto the board and you know, whoever kills the most amount of people wins basically. And how long is one game session? Um, I would say anywhere from about 20 to 45 minutes, depending I think it took us a little longer. It took us about 45 minutes probably to play the first, maybe an hour to play the first hand because we were figuring out the yeah. rules. <laughs> but the turns are really fast, which I kind of like. You know, mm-hmm. It's not a game where you're going to spend all the, you know, a whole bunch of time looking at your cards and thinking about it and then doing like 15 different things like in, in Magic or even Hearthstone, right? In Hearthstone, you know, once you get to later stages of the game, you know, you're doing like a few things per turn and then you might be like, okay, I'm going to attack this guy with this unit and then I'm going to cast this spell on this guy, which is going to trigger this effect, and then I'll attack you with this. You know, uh, This game is more like you put down a card, everything da- takes damage, the stuff that's died comes off the board, and then you draw a card, and that's your turn. Nice. And so once you get into the rhythm, you can play really quickly, which I found that to be a lot of fun, You know, especially when you're talking about a turn-based strategy game. like It's best, especially in real time, when it's like a fast iteration between the turns you know it's like speed chess right (laughs) for sure yeah otherwise you're waiting around a long time yeah frustrating i mean that's something that kind of came up with like the board games we were playing uh with my family you know is that if you're not just kind of bsing uh with (laughs) other family members during not your turn (laughs) you know it's like when you're playing with six or eight people or something it's like it takes forever to get around to you it's interesting the games that you wouldn't play in the online world, right? Because like yes. those turn-based games, you probably wouldn't, you know, because what you see on the screen would be, you know, the same thing. And maybe you're on Skype chat and that's okay, but like you can't just look to your right and be like, you know, punch your buddy. You're like, what's up? Or anything like that. You know, <laughs> you like, you might see like, okay, it's probably going to be another 15 minutes before I even have to take a uh, turn. So I'm just going to like, <laughs> I'm going to go get some food. I'll be back in a while, right? Right. That's it's interesting. <laughs> a really good example of that is I think Heroes of Might and Magic 6 or something sounds legit um anyways here's my magic is sort of a turn-based rpg strategy game like sort of like civilization like where you're kind of building towns and like a 4x yeah it's kind of like a 4x yeah All right. and uh but it's multiplayer and i remember i played with my brother again i play games with my brother a lot <laughs> yes you do. uh when we were growing up we were playing like heroes of my magic 3 and it was like hot seat multiplayer and like we had so mm-hmm. much fun uh because you know, it was just that kind of dynamic where, like, I would go and he would go. And, like, during his turn, I could kind of see what he was doing. Um, and we could just, like, BS or whatever. Um, whereas we tried to play Heroes of Might Magic 6 online. And we were on Skype, obviously, so we could talk to each other while we were playing. But, like, the thing that killed me about that game was that 
during my turn, during his turn, the camera was locked on my guy and I couldn't scroll around the map or look at my own units or even see what he might be doing, you know, even through fog of war or something, you know, huh. there was just nothing. It was basically just me looking at my dude sitting still on a horse until <laughs> some amount of time passed where he had taken his turn. Horse watcher 5,000. <laughs> right. Like I got better things to do than stare at this horse. And so, like, even with a person I'm really familiar with, I'm on voice chat with, it was still sort of a bad experience uh, playing that game. Hmm. That's kind of a big deal, because I've, uh, I've spent a lot of time dead in Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> and, you know, you can just stare at where you died, which is where it defaults to, and that's usually not that interesting. Sometimes it is. But uh, would, you really want to be looking around the map, right? You want to see where your opponents are. You want to see where your teammates are. You can maybe ping the map and give advice on various things based on information that you might only have because you're the one looking around the map and not actually playing you know and what i found the other day is that like even if there's nothing relevant to the game match you want to look at that game is littered with cool stuff like um in that pirate level there's just like a like really full featured pirate boat and around the edges of the screen there's like water and, and it's like sea creatures and stuff and like <laughs> i spent so long just looking at the 3d fluff and being like wow that's really cool i came back to life and i'm just sitting there and i'm like oh hey <laughs> i should be playing the game you know, like i got lost in just like the scenery that happened, actually happens to me quite a bit, but for like watching team battles, you know, like I'll die yeah. and then I'll be watching my team and they're like, you know, going back and forth on an objective, trying to kill stuff. And I'm like, okay, oh, that guy's almost dead. I hope they kill him. Like, oh, shit, that guy's going to right away. I'm like pinging like retreat, retreat, retreat. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, I've been alive. I have no idea how long I've been alive for. I should get my ass over there and help. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, you should help your team, you jerk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's fun. That's funny. It's weird. It's uh, because... Like, isn't there an overlay? Maybe that's what it was. I think I turned down some of my graphical settings so that I could see, or to, to make make it not lag out sometimes. Right. And maybe I took away that, like, full screen effect where it's very different between dead and alive. Hmm. Oh, I'm yeah. just kind of wondering, like, why I don't notice that transition. Well, what I've noticed, especially with that game, I mean, you get this with a lot of games and, like, game development and lots of things, right? But you get tunnel vision, right? And yeah. even with, like, the overlay doesn't, cover the whole screen really it kind of is around the edges you know it'll be like a spooky like spooky border spooky border (laughs) (laughs) yeah and when you're you're looking at the center of the screen and you're you might be intensely like oh man like oh the health bar is getting low but then the shield kicked oh oh he's running away you know like you're really zeroed in there and you you've got blinders on to the rest of the world right and the spooky border goes away and is like no more spooky you're alive now and you're like you know, you're you're lost. You had on your, you know, zoom vision. And especially if there was all kinds of spell effects like going off, you know, AoE ground things and stuff flying, characters flying all over the screen. Yeah. You don't notice that transition very easily. Yeah. I do that a lot in video games, um, <laughs> and especially HOTS, but like where I will be focusing on one thing and I forget about something else. And we do it with game design, you know, like with uh, AWL too. We, we, fo- we, we were just talking about this before the podcast. We... We focus too much on the micro and we forget about the macro. Yeah, I think it's because at a certain point it becomes easier to iterate on the macro, you know, whereas developing more macro features is a bigger chore. Mm. But it's like a trap, you know, it's like there's so many little traps to get into with game design (laughs) where, you know, like just getting started, there's traps you can fall into. And then there are just even more insidious traps where you're making progress, but you're not making progress on the right stuff. Yeah. You know, and it feels like you're making good progress, but maybe you're not. Yeah. That stuff is so hard to detect sometimes. It is. Um, You know that analogy we've used before where you're climbing a mountain and it feels like forever and then you get to the top and you're really happy, but then the mist parts and you see that there's a ton more mountain. Yes. Um, So somebody made a comic. Um, It was actually a Lost Cast listener that uh, tweeted this. Um, I think it was Rachel. And it was um, just perfect, really. Like, I, I'll put a link to this comic, but it had the same kind of a thing. It shows, you know, this little person crawling up this little hill, and then it zooms out, and it's like you're at the bottom of a gigantic mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll put a link to that. It makes me think about that sometimes. Because really, like, you know, you that's, that's the same kind of a thing. You're focused so much on the task at hand that you sometimes lose track of the bigger picture, right? Right. That was a big thing in uh, in World of Warcraft. It's like that game was almost designed for tunnel vision because they had this really complicated combat sequence, right? 
yeah. where you want to be doing the optimal DPS and you have this rotation of spells that you want to cast. And like sometimes those rotations are really complicated. Right. So your incentive is to kind of just be focused on maintaining this absolutely efficient damage rotation. But then every like two minutes or like every 30 seconds on some timer, the boss would do something that you'd have to move for. And so many people would just be so into their damage routine that they would just stand in, you know, the insta-kill mechanic. Right. And uh, yeah, it's like tunnel vision was such a problem. Yeah. It's like almost that game was almost made to be tunneled. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you liked uh, Lord of War. Lords of War. Yeah, Lords I did. I, I liked it a lot. It was a good recommendation. And um, I really want to play more of it because um, my brother kicked my butt twice. So Ooh. he, I, I'm zero to and two with that oh. game right now. <laughs> Man, it's yeah. so embarrassing for you. And the characters are pretty interesting. I, I really like. Um, so not only do you have like regular units, but each deck has some commanders. They're called and a general, you know. And so the lizard men have like this, you know, crazy uh, lizard man with like a bunch of swords, and then they have a d- different hero type that's got like he's like a ranged poison shooter or something. Yeah. It's pretty fun. I don't know. It uh, hits me a lot of the right ways. Nice. I think you would like it, honestly. It sounds like I would. I bet Koopa would like it, too, he said. I, I don't like barking dogs. <laughs> That's what I don't like. Come here. Oh, here's something else we played, actually. Uh, Red Dragon Inn 3. Oh, is there a 3? We have there's one a f- two. There's a 4. There's a 3 and a 4 and a whole bunch of standalone expansions you can get. Wow. So there's a lot of, of stuff going on in that game. But I'm behind, apparently. I don't know if I, I think I might have played two, but um, three is pretty interesting because they added a whole bunch of mechan- extra mechanics um, to the people. And so, like, instead of the game kind of was like, it's like a faux drinking game, right? Where you're in a tavern and, like, someone plays a dwarf and someone plays the paladin and someone plays the warrior or whatever. Yeah. And you're all trying to get each other drunk. And then the last person standing wins, basically. Yeah. But the characters, they have a few different cards um, that the other ones don't have. But by and large, they all kind of play very similarly, right? Right. What this this expansion did is it made it so each character has a very unique mechanic. So, like, this one character I was playing has a, like, gizmo. And, like, he can put these gizmos out. And the gizmos are, like, these little uh, devices that just stay on the game area. And, like, each turn they do something beneficial for you or detrimental to an opponent. And then there was another one who was a, like, a paladin type. And she had this piety meter. And the piety meter would go up and down based on certain events. And then, you know, you could spend piety to do different things and stuff like that. Hmm. Anyways, I thought that was a pretty uh, interesting mechanic, too. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. I, I always like those kind of... Yeah. And I, I like games that are asymmetrical in that sense, you know? Like, there's enough of a difference between the player types that it feels unique to play different characters. Yeah, I mean that's that's the reason that I keep playing um, Here's the Storm, you know, because you'll get like you get okay with one character and you get comfortable and you try another character and you feel like you're in a different body, you know. And it's not like you know what we're going for with the Wizard's Lizard Two, where you, when you possess something, it'll feel very different, but you still kind of know the basics, you know. Like I, I feel like with here, something like Here's the Storm, it's so important <laughs> that you do things other than just move around and attack. <laughs> like your right. abilities are so critical that uh it feels like you know you don't have like you've got feet for hands now like i don't know what 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 do i choose when i get a level up and what do abilities even do like what what is all this it's crazy and the fundamental positioning of the game right like the the basic idea of hots is almost can be still distilled down to be in the right place at the right time yeah, and that's like very you, different depending on who you are, right? Absolutely, Like, yeah. if you're a warrior, you want to be in the thick of it. If you're an assassin, you want to be on the outskirts, and same with, you know, healers and stuff. But, like, depending, like, even assassins like, like Nova is a ranged assassin that is invisible and pops up and kills people, and right. Zeratul is a, range, or a melee assassin that pops up and kills people, and they play quite differently Yeah, sometimes. I like that kind of thing. You know, games like Diablo, where your characters are all very different, and you might, you might play through the whole game, and you're like, yeah, you know, I played it. And then you play it again as a different character, and you're like, feels pretty fresh now, pretty pretty new, you know? Yeah, although I think the Diablo is kind of a weird example because uh, I've did I, I felt like Diablo is pretty samey. Um, mm. I think it's because it's just such a click fest, <laughs> and like you do have you have like three or four abilities that are unique to each class, but like, uh, I mean, they all kind of boil down to like you know do some AOE damage or 
do some single target damage or yeah those those games are really strange because they are technically roguelike-ish you know they're they're a to b they're procedurally generated you know they have a lot of things in common with roguelikes but they don't really feel that much like roguelikes i think because it's really just like a a beat-em-up you know no matter what class you're you're playing like you were saying you your goal is really just to run in there and kill a bunch of stuff by clicking on them you know like maybe you're melting them with fire or maybe you're freezing them with ice but it's like yeah just kill them (laughs) Like in HOTS, it's very strategic about when and how you use your abilities because a lot of them are on very long cooldowns. Right. And how and where you use them matters a great deal. Whereas in Diablo, yeah, you're right. Like you run into a, a mob of monsters and you're just madly destroying them all. Like, and especially when you get to high level, like you, I, I usually take a lot of the AOE talents or whatever on whatever uh, class I'm playing. And so you yeah. just kind of like AOE mash everything to death. Yeah. Man, I just, I love analyzing games like this. You know, I could do that all day. And I, it's still the kind of stuff that we haven't really learned yet. You know, like we're only just now scratching the surface of things along the lines of like, you know, what kind of a game is this actually? You know, like, is this something where you're just kind of mashing like with Diablo, like we're talking about? Or is it much more meticulous? You know, like the kind of roguelikes where, you know, the turn-based roguelikes where every single move you make has, you know, deep Drastic meaning. implications. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where it's like, oh, you went left there? you're screwed. You're never going to be able to make it to that food now before the dragon kills you right. or something along those lines. You know, like there's, there's this infinite gradient between these areas where one is just like run in, you take a bunch of damage, but it doesn't matter. And you kill stuff just by throwing magic all around. And none of it really matters because you regenerate and you get a bunch of loot and you get a bunch of gold and you kind of even out at the end of the dungeon, no matter what, you know, and then other games that are just like brutal and extremely strategic and stuff like that. And like the reasons to pick one, over the other, you know, whether you're going for an audience or whether you're going for a certain type of, you know, uh, game design itch that you want to scratch, stuff like that. I think with Diablo, it's probably just about accessibility, right? Like, it's already kind of a complicated dungeon-crawling game, and uh, and so they probably intentionally kept the combat, you know, as interesting as they could make it, but not so complicated that, you know, every time you're engaged with a rat, it's like so much cognitive overload. <laughs> Okay, do I want to stun the rat first before I use my execute or <laughs> this freaking rat again? What do I do? Oh man, I got to I got to retreat and think about this. <laughs> I'll come back to you. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh it, it is fun to to analyze these games because you know, uh there's a lot of, you know, it's it's like being an artist and looking at other art and trying to discern what it is that you like and don't like about things what you think is successful or not successful by other people's implementations. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll see this sometimes for people who are usually pretty green and they're like, um, hey, I want to get into game development or game design and I think that I'm a good candidate for that because I've been playing games for 20 years or something, you know? But like, you know, I liked your art um, example. You know, you look at a bunch of art and maybe you absorb some takeaways from it or not, you know? But I think, like, what a lot of artists would tell you is that you're really not going to learn anything just by looking. You would have to do studies, you know? Like, you, you do it yourself, right? You right. figure out what the, what the processes are. You repeat those. You, you know, you examine. You try to reproduce. You try to put your own twist on it. You draw it from a different angle. You just, like, all these different things you can do of, of doing, right? Like, not just studying and looking, right? Right. And, like, I feel like uh, that kind of a thing is not done nearly enough with um, with game design, you know, and for game developers. Because, really, the way to do it is... We make a game a lot like Diablo, you know, and we see what it is that we liked about it, didn't like about it. And then we go back and we make, you know, a true rogue, like the original rogue, right? We make that kind of a turn-based roguelike, you know, and then we make something in the middle and then like probably small versions because <laughs> yes. making games is very expensive. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm just... saying? is like, that's the way that you really learn instead of what, honestly, what we're doing is we make a lot of educated guesses. Right. You know, like we think this sounds cool and so we're going to try it. And a lot of times as we talk about on the show, we were wrong. Like that's that's happens all the time, especially when you're trying to create something original instead of just like, yeah, you know, I don't know, we did it like Halo does it, right? right. Yeah, it is. I mean, I like to think there's there's a decent amount of value in not just playing. I mean, I, I think that there one of the spectrum is like you're just playing games and you're not getting anything out of it, and then like really thinking about the mechanics. You know, like what would like what don't I like about that game? You know, you can. You can make those kinds of um, observations just by playing and thinking about, you know, oh, this game like really sucked when I ran into this situation because, you know, I didn't have X, Y, or Z. There's a game I like to play actually called Dragon Quest, which is sort of like a roguelike board game. 
Did you say Dragon Quest? Or Dungeon Quest, sorry. Okay. Dungeon Quest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dungeon Quest. Anyways, yep. and uh, but the problem with that game, one of the, the biggest faults that I find with it is that it relies very heavily on like these skill checks. And so they have a bunch of different characters, right? And one, one character is like very strong, has a lot of strength, but very crappy agility. Another character might have really good agility, but really low strength. And if you come across a trap in which the, you know, saving throw, to put it in D&D terms, is, or the skill check is um, agility, you know, you're going to pass it with flying colors with one character and maybe you'd be stuck on it for four or five turns with a different character. Yeah. And that, that swing feels like too much. Yeah. You know what I mean? I always kind of felt that way about Dungeons and Dragons, honestly. You know, there'd be something like, okay... Um, Faco, right, and armor class and that stuff in the D20 system. Because I, I would have, I swear, like five turns in a row or something where I'm like, you know, here's a three, here's a four, here's a seven. And it's like, miss, 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 you know? Right. And you're like, come on, like I'm, I'm a level seven warrior. Like <laughs> I should be able to hit this goblin in the face. <laughs> Work with me here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Some of the random stuff just doesn't um, doesn't always feel that great. No, it doesn't. And, you know, we've talked about on the show before. I think we've probably done a whole podcast about randomness. And we've <laughs> honestly had, you know, our own issues with randomness. I think that when we go back and look at AWL1, there's a lot of things that are random that we wouldn't make random now. Too random. Yeah. Too random. Yeah. So I've been playing uh, some games that I've had in my library and I either forgot about or just hadn't gotten around to playing. This happens too. I'll see something comes out of early access and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to try it finally. I think because it's like, and I feel like almost a hypocrite because I, I am working on a game that is going for early access. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, I don't know, with Nuclear Throne especially, a lot of people were, you know, they were doing live streams every week, uh, making the game. I think a lot of people were really on board for like, yeah, I want to experience this in its raw state. You know, I want to contribute and give ideas and that kind of a thing. Um, but these days I'm like, you know, I've got my own projects I'm working on. So I'm just like, a lot of times when it's early access, I'm like, I'll just wait. I'll wait until you're done. I don't want you changing stuff out from underneath me or whatever. You don't like change, though. Uh, we'll get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I noticed about Nuclear Throne is most of the time that I die, I feel like the game suffers from that um, AWL1 crypt problem where, you know, later on in those dungeons, we have smaller rooms that are denser with more monsters. Mm-hmm. And the sewer kind of felt that way sometimes, too. But it would basically feel like, welcome to this room where... The only place to walk is inside of monsters. Good luck not getting hit. You're probably dead soon, you know? Right. Like, that kind of a thing happens to me all the time. Because, like, um, here'll be a scenario. I, I leave one level in Nuclear Throne. I go to the next one. And, you know, we talked about this before. Uh, we do this with AWL1. And we're doing it with AWL2 as well. Where it's like, the, when you first start in a new area, you're in the kind of a safe spot. You know, like, the initial room you begin in doesn't have any danger in it. There's no hazards there, right? Nuclear Throne doesn't play that way. You're in the middle of, like, here's, you're in the middle of 10 monsters, you know? Right. <laughs> and it doesn't feel good because it doesn't feel like anything that I did outside of, like, oh, you're not able to dodge 20 projectiles coming at you from 20 pixels away, you know? <laughs> like, that's a really hard thing to do. And um, I, I've been trying as I'm playing these games to, to not just, you know, <laughs> enjoy the graphics and have fun doing it. I'm trying to be like, okay, why, like, how do I feel and why do I feel that way? And what is it about the game that I think made me feel that way or not you know it's like game dev uh psychiatry <laughs> yes how does that make you feel yeah. this game how do you feel about that why is that right how could the game have made you feel better where did the game touch you yeah <laughs> show me on the doll <laughs> yeah and that's one thing i noticed is yeah I, I just think that it gets too dense and it doesn't feel fair because i'm not put in a position where i could have prevented it sometimes it's kind of like in AWL1 where you come into a room and there's stuff right next to the door. Ugh, I hate that. It just yeah. feels like a dick move. <laughs> a little in bit. In AWL1, like the spike trap right in front of the door. <laughs> it's like, surprise, sucker. Yeah. I was playing uh, Duke Nukem last night, which I might talk more about that too, because that, that is a wonderful game. But uh, there's this level where when you start, you begin in an electric chair. And if you mm. just hit you know start level and you just stand there, you die very quickly. So the way to, the best way to play that level is you're already hitting forward. Like I want to walk forward before you even hit play or next level or whatever. <laughs> Interesting. It's pretty brutal, honestly. But it's also like, you know, they're not doing that all the time. That's kind of a tongue in cheek, like 
you know, it's just special to this level to kind of give it that oomph in the beginning, I guess. And it's like a, it's like a gimmick, right? And then it's a gimmick, yeah. And hopefully the respawn. It's like if you do get killed by electric chair, there's like a you haven't lost much progress. I hope. Exactly, because the level just started, right? And yeah. so there's an option to restart level, and you're right back where you were. And this is also a level where the whole bit is that they captured you, and so they, you know, they strip you of all your stuff. I forget what you call that. There's like a term for that, like a hero reset or something. But anyway, it's like, um, you know, they take away all your stuff, and so even if you die and restart, it doesn't really matter because you're still in the same place that you were. Man, yeah, that's actually a good. I, I, I've always liked those levels where, you know, it's like where you get thrown in jail yeah. in an RPG or something. Yeah. Wonder Boy, the Dragon's Trap had this great premise where um, you kind of like, the idea is that you start off the game uh, with all the power that you had from the previous game, right? Like you're Wonder Boy, you have a ton of health, you have the you have the best armor and the best swords and everything. It's a side-scrolling platformer um, for those who aren't familiar. And you're playing through this, like, basically like the last dungeon kind of thing is the first level, which is cool because it feels like epic right off the bat, right? But then uh, you beat this boss, and then there's a curse that you can't avoid. And when it touches you, you turn into a dragon, and you can't hold your gear anymore. You can't equip your sword. You can't wear your armor. And so you lose all your stuff, and you're, like, reset back to, I'm this kind of pretty weak dragon thing. And then, you know, they meter out the rewards from there. Exactly, yeah. You can become different. Like, now I'm a mouse that can walk on walls and the other stuff. And, yeah, you get more items and weapons and all that jazz. It's fun. That is pretty fun. That's, That's a good idea. Yeah. That's good stuff. So, uh, what's your overall verdict on Nuclear Throne then? Um, it's cool. It's really weird because, um, like, I know it's a game maker game, but like when you start it up, it's this tiny little box in the <laughs> middle of your screen, and it's so itty bitty. You know, like they actually made that game at true whatever that pixel resolution is. It's it's really tiny, and it's odd in that way. You know, I've never seen a game look like that before. Hmm. I played obviously I played a lot of pixel art based games, but they tend to like they upscale right away. They upscale right away, yeah. And like, yeah. you know, it looks horrible when they don't have the hard edges like this game does. Like, the, no matter how big you make it, it still looks nice and crisp, which That's I good. appreciate. Um, the controls are great. It's very satisfying. I do think it's much too brutal. I don't think it has enough hooks to really pull me because what I've noticed is, and this is coupled with almost every time I die, I feel like uh, <laughs> I don't... I don't see a clear path to what I could have done better, and I kind of feel like I got the crappy end of the stick. So, like, and, what what are the scenarios in which you die? Well, usually it's just, here's a... Because it, it's very seldom am I playing a level, and I've got my bearings, and I'm like, okay, I've cleared out a little corner, and I can walk around, and I'm watching my ammo, and I'm being careful not to get hit. Oh, that's another thing. A lot of times I get hit by, I, I couldn't even tell you what. <laughs> the game has a real problem, in my opinion, with this is a game object, or this is a background item, or this is a hazard, and this is something harmless. Hmm. And that's one thing that that we're trying to do really well in AWL too is like it's a very clear you know this is just some crap you don't have to worry about this is background, you know like firm like those those so, like the solid hard edges around entities like that's intentional. Oh, you know, small tangent. <laughs> Here we go. Number one. I'm gonna hop back and then hop forward we'll or see. something. Yes. Um. So when I was talking to my brother, he uh, was with his girlfriend, and his girlfriend um plays League of Legends a lot. Interesting. And uh, and she's also played Hots, and we've played all played Hots together. Oh, nice! And um, it was interesting because I was like asking her, you know, because I like Hots a lot, and I haven't really played a, a lot of League of Legends, but yeah. I always got the sense from her that um, Le- she thought League of Legends was better, and a lot of it could just be inertia, you know, like she's played it forever or whatever. Sure. But I was asking her about it, and one of the things that she mentioned to me that I thought was pretty interesting was that. She felt like there was way too much going on in Hots. Like there's too much fluff, there's too much background stuff, like little birds mm. flying around, and it was hard for her to separate mm. what was happening in the game world to what was like you know what was important. Right. Um, yeah. And because you mentioned that um, that we're trying that, it made me think like, what is it like? I don't seem to I don't seem to have that problem with Hots specifically. Have you? you I mean, you've seen League of Legends, right? Uh, I mean, I have. I, I've, I've played League of Legends on a handful of occasions, but I can't, like, I'm having a hard time in my mind's eye remembering, how, is it that much more minimalistic than HOTS? What I remember about how the game looks is that it looked a little more 2D and it wasn't so, like, refined and polished. And uh, more specifically, I do think that there were, like, these solid borders around the characters. I'm just imagining this, apparently. I'm looking at screenshots now. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was almost like it lo- had like a cell shaded look to it, huh. but I, there's something about that very 
distinct border around uh, game objects that um, I just I almost can't live without it in some some types of games, you know. Yeah. Um, I do agree that Hots is very. I mean, that might be part of the reason that we, you know, we get that tunnel vision and we're just so zoomed into something, you know, is because there's a million things flying around the screen, right. and you're looking at the one or two things that you actually understand at that moment, and then you have to back out and be like, "What am I missing here? Some birds are flying. That's nothing. There's this boat over here. It's rocking. That's that's nothing. Oh, I'm alive. The the spooky border went away. Like, oh man, like you have to. There is. I wouldn't be surprised if some people just thought there was like just information overload, too much going on on the screen at one time. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. And that's like just you know another whole game dev discussion about like not only the fluff in the world, but then the UI on top of it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, um, Nuclear Throne. uh, This is another point I wanted to make about it. Is I had noticed that my um, cognitive overhead is pretty much maxed maxed out at all times, and what that means for me, um, the implications it has on how the game design appeals to me is that like some characters apparently have this like off key ability. I think you right click. Like for example, the fish character can roll or something like that, and some other characters have some other abilities. Like I think the plant can shoot some kind of stunning vines or something i never touch it i'm i'm so worried about first of all my position where i am in the game world is very important i'm because i i'm always worried that something's going to hit me because i'm like i don't know what that what is that thing is that harmless like i I always have that because something inevitably every game play or every game i play something hits me that i i didn't get (laughs) and then um I'm worried about that, my positioning. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my ammo. I don't even understand what all the numbers on the screen means. So I'm kind of just like, what's going on, you know? And then um, it's really hard for me still. I've played for like a couple hours, I guess. But it's still hard to, for me to be 100% on like what weapons I have, what weapon I have switched to, like I have at that moment, you know? If I remember I have a rocket launcher and a shotgun, I might not remember which one I have equipped at that moment, that kind of a thing. And that can make a big and difference. Like if you shoot yourself against a wall, you're dead. And some weapons like bounce off walls and come back and kill you. So like that makes a huge difference, right? And so is it? Do they not display that in the UI? I think it's at on your character. You just... can look at your character and just be I like, see. I can see that I have this gun. But like, oh, I see. <laughs> they rotate the sprites, and the the gun graphics are already so tiny. I can look at probably fifty different guns, and I can maybe only pick out three of them. You know what I mean? They all look crazy yeah. and and tiny and weird and look very mangled. Um, I like that they do that. It's a nice polish effect, but I, I don't. I don't think it's very effective at that low resolution for communicating which way. Right, and that information might also be in yeah. the UI. But that's again, it's just it's just too much. And um, I found that like because of all the stuff going on, I I do I'm, I have no interest in worrying about like a a, a side ability, a sub ability. So I, I usually go for the characters that either don't have that or I just don't care. <laughs> Sounds like totems oh, in AWS, does, doesn't it? You're like, there's, I'm moving and I'm shooting, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> um, I do like that the macro is very simple, um, but I think that, like I was saying earlier, um, I think the macro suffers a little bit in that it doesn't really pull me in. I f- I'm sure some people are just like, they love the micro so much, they don't even care, they die, and they had a blast, and they want to go right back in, and the game just holds them all the way to the end, and they went through all the levels and all the content, and maybe they even beat it with every character. Like, I see how the content is good, and that makes that kind of makes the macro work for you, you know? Like, you want to work through this game right. just because you haven't seen the third level yet, or you want to work through this game just because the last boss you heard is really cool and you want to see it. Like, I get that kind of a thing. But as far as, like, do I want to play it today? Not really. And I don't know what's missing there. You know, I don't I don't know. I don't, <laughs> don't they have a daily run? Yeah, I guess. But, like, I, ever since the days, like, when Spelunky first launched that, and I was like, yeah, I'm okay at Spelunky. I, you know, I got all the achievements. I'm not so bad. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm no good at that. I'm never, ever, ever going to be able to so much as compete with those types of runs. I have, I have zero interest in that. I think that's a really interesting point about the daily runs because when we look at a lot of contemporary roguelites, you know, a lot of them have these daily run type challenges. Like, you know, Spelunky has it. Isaac has it. Nuclear yeah. Throne has it. Um, And they're pretty interesting. But I, I do kind of wonder, like, how many people actively play it every day, you know? Like, what's the retention rate on that? Because I do kind of feel the same way that you do in a lot of instances where I'm like, what's the point of me really trying on a daily run unless you're going to be competitive? But in order to be competitive, I'd have to be playing the game way more than I play it now. (laughs) 
it's like uh, it doesn't really work for the casual yeah, player. Yeah, it doesn't. That's as very much. interesting. I, I mean, I don't I don't have answers for these things. You know, I'm just kind of like just examining. Yeah, I'm oh, just yeah, examining absolutely. my feelings and like I wonder why. And like you know, wh- why do some games pull me, others don't? Why do why do why do some people really turned on by a game and others aren't? I I have no idea. And sometimes I don't even think that they know. They themselves know. You know, like I don't know what it is. I just love it. That kind of a thing. One thing I liked about Xbox Live, if I recall, is that when you were looking at leaderboards, it would almost always default to the leaderboard that was filtered to mm. your friends. And so whenever you got a high score in a game or a level within a game or whatever, it would generally show you relative to your right. friends, which I thought was a much better default than like, you're 17,000 out of 50,000 <laughs> people that have played this game and, you know... That is almost it meaningless, is. I mean, you know, yeah. and like you feel like, uh, yeah, that's true. Like the more <laughs> the more relevant, the more you care. I mean, that was one of the reasons I was really into Splunky when I was, is because you and I were talking about it a lot and we were playing at the same time. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I had a friend I can be like, hey, dude, I, you know, I did this achievement or whatever, and you'd be like, ooh, we could talk. At least you understood, you know, if I'm t- if I'm playing some game you never heard of, and I'm like, I I got the Chalice of Eternity, and you're like, what? <laughs> You know, like it doesn't have as much meaning because you don't you don't care you don't you don't know what that's about. Yeah, there's something else that I, uh, you know, like um, this is sort of a, a weird tangent, but number two, if you, yeah, if you think about like the buzzwords for Silicon Valley in the past couple of decades or whatever, a lot of it kind of boils down to that holy trinity of uh, mobile, social, local. Mm. With I think local being the newer yeah. of the three. Um. But it makes a lot of sense, right? Like the reason that local is so important is because it's like, how is this product relevant to someone locally, you know? Uh, Because when you get to the scale like we're at with people like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people playing a game, like what does it matter? Like what is the value in leaderboard aside from the top 100 that's a global leaderboard? You know, it's almost not valuable to any other people. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if um, we could do something like that if we had a daily run type feature, um, but we could kind of just by default, you know, or really just not even by default, just the only way it works is that it shows you relative to your Steam friends. I would like to see a game where our scores are just compared to Lost Cast listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I would play that game. (laughs) Well, it could be kind of interesting. You know, it could be like you could have um, a leaderboard per friends group specific like to that person then you could have a leaderboard specific to say a steam group like maybe the lost decade game right. steam mm-hmm. group you could see uh, like oh you know i'm i'm number one out of five of my right. friends but i'm number 10 out of 50 in the lost decade games group and then if you really cared you're like oh i'm number 3,000 out of 15,000 in the global yeah. leaderboards nice but having the zoom level seems like a really yeah, interesting thing I wonder if those games do it or not. Uh, it's a, I should at least I check know. it out since I'm kind of just, you know, looking at these games to see where the market is at and just doing like competitive analysis kind of stuff, you know. And I mean, to be clear, yeah. these are all like I should be looking at probably smaller games because like Nuclear Throne is obviously a hit game. It's made over a million bucks so far and it's on track to do just gangbusters. Um, speaking of that, I'm also uh, I tried Darkest Dungeon, which also came out of early access. So I was uh, excited to give that one a whirl. Um, this game I thought was really interesting. Um, the premise is awesome. It's, you know, what kind of psychological effects would it have on your party if you kept sending them into these horrible dungeons, right? Horrible. horrible. That's such a cool premise. It is, and it's so yeah. well done. And the art and, is And, you know, again, this, this game is going to be a million seller. It's, uh, it's, art is fabulous. The production quality is top notch. So any piddly comments that i have should just be ignored like just go play them and enjoy them they're great games but uh here we come well, my nitpicks here, here they come <laughs> you ready for them <laughs> well this would be interesting because i've actually played a little bit of darkest dungeon because i bought it um quite a while ago when it was still nice. in early access so it'll be interested to contrast yeah. what you think about it so what i thought was first off that it was really overwhelming with information and i felt like just very ui heavy and um they had like this is a real problem to me is when there's like overlapping things that the game is trying to tell you at once. And there would be something where like, okay, the first time I got to the the town, I guess, uh, like after the first dungeon crawl, 
And like I got my party in the upper right and they have these little speech bubbles. They're saying things. And then some UI appeared to cover up that. And at the same time, the narrator started talking to me. So to me, it's like, <laughs> like just what? Whoa, 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 whoa. It was like slow down. Like the, the game itself felt confused. You know what I mean? Which, which of these yeah. things that you're clamoring for my attention? Like which one is most deserving of my attention? And so it got none of them. I'm just staring at the screen going like, oh, like what is the hell is all this crap? You know, it's a turnoff. It is. Right. It's like, it's too much. Like just, just one thing at a time. Just slow it down. <laughs> slow down. And it made focus. me feel like I was losing stuff. Like I wasn't getting like, okay, well that was probably important. I, I didn't, I missed that. And I'm sitting here reading this paragraph of text and I'm like, just, okay. The, yeah. Okay. I get, okay. All right. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it close. And then I have like all these different things to click on and explore. And most of them are locked, which that's kind of nice, but I would prefer more like, just don't even show me at the moment. Cause don't overwhelm me at first, you know? That's, that's my big thing recently, I think, is that, like, I'm okay with complicated games. I'm okay with, very co- with like, you know, complexity in general, but just not up front, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I was playing the game, and uh, another big, like, just the UI, I think, was the only real problem with the game because, like, I was in a dungeon, and the game lets you know that your characters, when they die, they're dead for good, and I think it even told me at one point that you can flee or quit your quest or something, I couldn't to save my to literally to save my characters' lives. I could not figure out how to do that, and I went and Googled it, and somebody was like, "Oh, oh there's wow. a flag. Just click the flag on the screen to retreat." And I'm like, "What?" Like I looked at every inch of that screen, and eventually um, I ended up finding something. But I was it was just it was too late basically because I was in the middle of a battle, and there's this like what looks like a notification, like an achievement icon or something in the upper left. I guess was this, this below that was this little white thing. I was like, maybe that's a flag. And I clicked on it. And it's like, you want to retreat? And I'm like, oh, God, yes. Retreat. No, you're all dead. <laughs> and it, it didn't at all feel like my fault because it was like multiple battles where I was like, I should really leave. I want to leave now because my characters are all going to die. But I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. There's just like, there's way too much on the screen. It's like any uh, stuff like options. I have no idea. How do you use an item? I have no idea. I tried dragging icons onto the characters. I tried left-clicking, right-clicking, like all this very stuff. I just found it really confusing and overwhelming. And it uh, it hurt my enjoyment, I got to say. I don't know how you'd solve it. I recognize it's a complicated game, and sometimes you really need a lot of user interface to support that. You know, I get that. Um, I think it's unfortunate, but, like, that's tough, man. I mean, maybe this the games with really uh, heavy UI like that just aren't for me. I'm not sure. And I think, you know, part of it is, like people will put up with an inferior UI if the rest of the game is so good. Yes. And I think that's kind of where Darkest Dungeon, you know, excels in that sense is that the art is so oh, good gorgeous. and the, the hook is so good that I think people just like, maybe they grit their teeth and bear it when it comes to like non-optimal I UI. I mean, I bet too they just, you know, the, the graphics and the premise are so, like, yeah, they compel them and they, they get past that initial hurdle that I probably just haven't crossed yet where like, okay, I'm getting the hang of it. I understand, you know where stuff is, how to find it, what to do. Cause that's a big part of it is, you know, I've only put a couple of hours into it. And so I haven't gotten into that flow yet. Everything's still pretty new, but right. uh, I think just being non-intuitive off the bat, off the bat, you're going to lose a lot of people in that regard. It is a very UI heavy game. And that is, you know, something that, you know, we've recognized even the small amounts of UI that we've worked into our own games has sometimes felt way too complicated. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just, like, probably not even a fraction of the kind of UI that goes into that yeah, game. Yeah, and most of our UI, honestly, is, like, pretty amateurish. We just shove it in there. And I'm like, hey, it's a list. <laughs> like, I don't know. What do you want from me? It, it works. <laughs> like, we were inspired by Skyrim. Yeah, the minimalist approach. <laughs> and, like, you know, Darkest Dungeons UI is, is gorgeous. And <laughs> it, it looks pretty. And it's, it's pretty well organized considering, I mean, I couldn't figure out how to use it. <laughs> but aside from that, you know, it, it looks very well put together. I think it's kind of the game where you really have to be patient and just try things out and not get frustrated with it. Because I remember when I first played that town area, it was pretty confusing yeah. too. And even to this, you know, I, I probably couldn't go back and just pick it up because I remember, you know, there's all kinds of little things like, oh, if you want to rest one of your guys, there's like a couple different places you can rest them, right? There's like an abbey and then also like a clinic and or a something. brothel. And a brothel, right? And like depending on the kind of person, like you have to like match the way that they want to relax yeah. to something, to their class, 
to the activity in order to maximize the amount of rest yeah. they get. And I, I found that to be that process to be kind of not intuitive. It, it kind of ended up just like dragging things around and putting them in places and trying to figure out what was what. Yeah, and that can be fun. And but I just think that games in general they don't give you enough of a playgrounds to experiment with that stuff. You know. Like, um, I, w- I want to try this feature out before I commit to it, or I want to see what this is like. But, like, a-, a game like Darkest Dungeon, you know, it's designed to be brutal. And so they are charging you for those resources, even during your experimentation phase and figuring stuff out. You know, like, oh, you want to stay a little longer and see what that's like? You're all dead. You lost, you know, you lost <laughs> an hour or, like, a thousand gold or whatever. And um, that's something I've I've seen, like, from my wife doing user research on games is a lot of players really just want, like, it's like, give me a minute to learn this, you know, let me, let me shoot a wall, you know, or like a test dummy. Let me shoot a test dummy to see what this gun is like before you start charging me for bullets kind of a thing, you know, and it sounds so reasonable, especially in an environment where like, that's easy to do in a game, man. You know, like you're not like your ammo is infinite for 30 seconds. Try this out. Yeah. Something else I found was sort of interesting in darkest dungeon was that like, I I seem to remember that first dungeon crawl where you need to buy supplies Yeah, and (laughs) It's like you don't really have any idea how much supplies yeah. you need. And it's like a trade-off between money and supplies. And it wasn't really clear to me. I was like, I don't really understand how long these torches last. I don't really understand how much food I'm going to consume. Right. I want to get like, do I need 10 stacks? Do I need five stacks? Do I need two stacks? Yeah. Like what? I remember they gave you a heads up. They're like, for your first run, you're going to want, you know, four torches and eight food or something. And I bought that and it wasn't enough and the next time i had that or more and it wasn't enough and i don't know that we talk sometimes about like a game design band-aid and that suggestion there is a very weak band-aid honestly you know like wanting to know before a player has enough information wanting to know what choices they want to make before they go into like you know a dungeon dive that's that's pretty brutal yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, the resources don't roll over, right? Like if you don't use them by the end of the dungeon, oh, they're really? gone or do they persist? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember, honestly. It's been a while. And when I played it, the game could have been in a different state. Yeah, because that's be the honest. thing. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to wait for early yeah. access to end. I should go back and I should go back and play it now and see what I think of the game after the final spit and Yeah, polish. that one's interesting. I, I think I will play that one again, even though I feel like I got kind of, you know, I, I got cut though I didn't deserve it kind of a kind of a feel um but it's just like it's really attractive it's it's looks so cool I know that the game design is is so original and the concept is so creative um that I just kind of want to spend more time with it yeah and like it's kind of like it's a turn-based RPG you know it's a lot like something kind of like Shining Force without you know the the movement grid basically but it's got a lot of that flavor that used to be my thing man I used to be all about turn-based rpgs you know final fantasy dragon mm-hmm. quest uh yeah shining force advanced wars like just all those types of games especially the medieval fantasy kind of like story-based ones you know and i think it was just like a combination of you know you get older and you have less time and then also combined with like those games aren't just hard to make they take forever <laughs> they take so much balancing <laughs> especially some kind of like progressive story-based you know, uh, turn-based RPG with that's like very stat-heavy. You got these economies, you've got these like environments and maps, and like just tons of content, like years worth of content to make. Right? right. Yeah, it just turned me off for making them, but like that that itch has not been scratched. I know we've made you know Lava Blade and some other prototypes and stuff, but like mm, someday I really just I do want to make some epic turn-based RPG. I agree. Um, I think, though, that for me, it would have to be something more along the lines of like Lava Blade or, you know, a grid based movement is a is a thing. Positioning is a thing. Because while I, I really enjoy Darkest Dungeon, um, it's kind of like you can draw a lot of parallels between that and, say, Final Fantasy battles. Sure. And I feel like those kind of battles get fairly stale, you know, where it's just like your guy's on the left, they're on the right, and you just. You press attack this guy, you press attack that guy, you press attack that guy. Like, that gets a little repetitive. And it's okay in Final Fantasy III because it's basically just stitching together this epic storyline or whatever, right. right? Where, like, you start at the beginning of this world and then you go to the end of this world and you meet all these crazy people along the way and things happen and stuff changes and stuff. And then, uh, I don't honestly, I haven't played enough Darkest Dungeon to know how kind of deep the storyline aspect goes, but... 
in a roguelike design in general is almost repetitive by nature, yeah. you know? And so I kind of wonder... I mean, obviously, it's going to be a hit game, like you said. So whatever complaints <laughs> we have are probably <laughs> not justified. Yeah. But it does kind of strike me as odd that it's got this very repetitive combat, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, tied together with this really repetitive dungeon crawling. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's just, uh, you know, so pretty and the environment is is so... <laughs> I don't want to say like so enjoyable because a lot of it is dark and, and gritty, but I think that is just the environment that like makes you want to stay in that right. place because it's so cool. It's yeah, it's enjoyable in a different right. way. It's enjoyable like in the sense that you know you actually kind of feel like this is a really like the atmosphere is great. You feel like this is a, a dank dungeon that you know death is lurking around any corner. Right. And it's true, right? Like you know you had that feel like you're like I just want to run away. <laughs> 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 and i can't and like i'm so scared yeah and you you might be like oh man my guys are almost dead like do i want to risk one more room like i could be i could lose three party members in one battle See, maybe. if i had been able to make that decision i would have been much more satisfied with my experience but my frustration <laughs> was the game i believe it told me at one point you know you can retreat but you'll lose your stuff or whatever which at that point i was like i don't care yeah just retreat i couldn't figure out how to do it because of millions of <laughs> just the interface was just overwhelming and like just doing something very basic sometimes gets kind of hidden uh to make room for like here's here's 35 stats about your character you didn't know existed i'm like oh i don't care i just want (laughs) i want to leave the battle how do i do that it sounds like a clickbait title (laughs) 35 statistics you didn't know your character had really well click here for the slideshow (laughs) and i click on it and it's like you have died (laughs) i feel like Contextual UI should be more of a thing, especially in that kind of a game where you have these two modes, right? Where it's like you're walking through the dungeon and then you're fighting in the dungeon. Yeah. And when you're fighting, the things that are important to fighting, of which retreating being an option is one, it should be very prominent. I agree. You know? Yeah. You, you, there, there's a couple of things. Like, you should always know whose turn it is. Right. Which of your characters is next to act. You should know what things they can do on their turn. And you should be able to retreat if that's an option. Yeah. Th- those core things should always be readily accessible, I think. I agree. You should make a uh, turn-based uh, dungeon crawler. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Get to work. <laughs> I'll just uh, just rip those ideas right <laughs> off. And we'll make, you know, a worse design with worse art. Yay. And it'll be like a th- tenth of the content. And everyone will say, oh, it's a Darkest Dungeon clone. Great. One star. <laughs> no. Anyways, uh, that was pretty good. We talked a lot about board games and games we've been playing. Um, that's all really good stuff. I really like analyzing the death <laughs> out of all these things. Yeah, not much about the actual making of them, but a lot of times, and this is the problems that we're bumping into recently, you know? It's like, what are you making and why are you making that out of the millions, not even millions, infinite possibilities of things you could be making? What and why, you know? Like, you got to take a step back sometimes and see, like, what are people liking? What do I like? What, what's driving me forward? What's what's good about this game? What's bad about that game? You know, like, just kind of take the pulse of the general ecosystem and, you know, regroup. I think it's a really good idea because, you know, last week we were talking, I think, episode 157. We were talking about macro game design. And one thing that's been really itchy to me with our games is I really want to f- make progress and get better at the things that pull you through the game yes at the high level yeah and i feel like it's one area we've been traditionally weak we obviously talked a lot about that um, on the previous podcast and hopefully we're gonna do some good work on that front this week and maybe we'll have some interesting stuff to show with our weekly wednesday video which will come out tomorrow and uh obviously we'll talk about whatever we did next week on lost cast well i'm looking forward to that sir me too that sounds like a fun conversation Well, thanks for listening. As always, join us on the forums at forum.lostigagames.com. We are still working on our Patreon. We haven't fully launched it yet, but we really, really do appreciate the support that's been coming in so far. And at the end of the month, we will start looking at um, paying out your rewards, uh, which we really need some feedback on. Like We we have not that many ideas for rewards. So uh, in the forum thread, 
uh, for this month. We'll mention, like, put a link to it. You know, it's a soft launch. And uh, we can hopefully get your thoughts or if you have any ideas for, like, yeah, you know, I'd give you guys five bucks a month if, you know, some kind of reward ideas there. But uh, thank you so much for the support it has seen so far. Um, man, it, it just feels really great and uh, it gives us a lot of. You know, motivation to keep pushing forward on both the Patreon and the podcast itself and to just keep making uh, hopefully interesting game-related content for you guys. Ship it. <laughs>